Yes, we are talking about Christmas, and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, in case I don't get to tell you that. Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have a wonderful, a wonderful uh, uh, time with family and friends. I am uh, heading to Dallas, where my uh, sister lives, and she's hosting this year, so it's always nice to go south for Christmas, especially on a day like today when it snowed all day. Thanks for coming tonight, by the way, and uh, so I hope to have a, a very good time. Also, Christmas Eve services, Brad mentioned this to you, but I just want to give them a little, a little plug here. I don't know that we've ever worked so hard on any Christmas Eve services that we've ever done uh, than, than this year. And we're going to have full choir. It's going to be a, you know, a, not quite the sort of quiet little intimate few people kind of thing. It's going to be much bigger this year. And so, uh, as we've said, I think Easter and Christmas Eve are the two easiest things to invite anybody to come to, and you might just think about who the Lord might lay in your heart to, uh, to invite, and in that way, just to kind of help them take maybe a step and be introduced to Christianity, and the gospel will be explained that night for sure, and uh, it's a very comfortable uh, ask, I think. Where are you going on Christmas Eve? If you don't got somewhere to go, why don't you come? I, was, I did this with, there's a, a gal at the uh, grocery store that um, you know, you go through the line and you start seeing the same people all the time. And so they, oh, they're like, hey, hey, you know, and you just sort of get that thing going on. And uh, I just kind of asked her, I said, where, you got somewhere to go for Christmas Eve? Well, I used to live out here. We kind of moved over this way and we're kind of, I don't, we, I'm looking for a church maybe. And, oh, come on out. And she wasn't offended at all. What time are they? And I told her and it's as easy as that. So maybe think about that. It'd be great to uh, pack this place out, three services, and to present the gospel to uh a lot of people. Okay, we have already gone over the passage that we are preaching. Not a careful exegesis by any means. Not when you have uh, donkey herders and merry-go-rounds going on in the story. But we have gone over the, uh, the passage. I'm not going to reread it for you other than as we work our way through it now to explain it. And you parents, you better be listening. Your kids are going to be asking you what did you learn? And you need to have something to tell them. So you'll be listening and all the rest of you as well. Um, and let's get into the story now. This is from Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. And uh, Christmas time, pretty much you're either in Matthew or you're in Luke because these are the only two places where we have uh, birth narratives that are given to us. Uh, Mark doesn't mention it at all. John gives more of a theology. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So uh, Luke or Matthew, if you're going to talk about the story of Christmas, you're probably going to go to Matthew or to Luke. And that's where we are. And I want to begin by uh, filling in the gap between what we studied last week, which was uh, the announcement to Mary in Nazareth that she would be giving birth to the Messiah, all the way up to the angel's appearing to the shepherds. So let me fill in the gap now and tell you what happened in between these two events. And we have a map. If you put that up there, this will help a little bit. You see Nazareth, Nazareth up in the north. Here's what happened. Remember, the angel Gabriel told Mary that her, her cousin Elizabeth was also uh, pregnant in her old age. And so after the angel left, Mary went down to where Elizabeth lived, which was down south in the land of Judea, in the hill country of Judea. And she went down there, and if you know the story, they see each other, and John the Baptist leaps in her womb, and Mary gives her Magnificat, is what it's called, her poem, her song. Well, Mary stays there for three months, 
And uh, then she travels back, and that's what this uh, Lois line here is representing. She travels back to Nazareth. Now, Joseph, uh, her betrothed, stayed in Nazareth while she was gone. She comes back. Now she is showing that she is pregnant and tries to explain to Joseph what has happened. But this is a tough sell. God did this to me. Now, how often are people likely to go, oh, sure, no problem. I get, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, Not too often, I'd I'd say. And Joseph didn't buy it either. And he was, Matthew tells us, he was considering uh, divorcing her, but he wanted to do it quietly so that he didn't shame her or embarrass her. So he is contemplating doing that. I think he's decided to do it. And then an angel appears to Joseph and says, listen, what is it? The baby that is in uh, Mary is of the Lord and go ahead and marry Mary, which is redundant, but marry Mary and name the boy Jesus. And so Joseph marries Mary. (laughs) It's hard to say. You have no sympathy tonight. I can tell. Y'all just come here, sit there, and just see me suffer, and I feel nothing for me. He marries Mary, and now they are not betrothed anymore. They're now officially husband and wife. Well, there's a problem, though, and Mary and Joseph are probably wondering, how is this going to happen? Because they knew that the prophecy was that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, but they live up in Nazareth. So they were thinking to themselves, well, how is this going to work? This isn't, maybe it's not the Messiah because the Messiah is going to be born or this baby is going to be born in Nazareth. Well, here's how God works. On a global level, God providentially moved Caesar Augustus, the Roman uh, emperor, to declare that a census would be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire and that everybody was to return to their ancestral hometown. So can you imagine the look on Mary and Joseph's face when they're wondering, how is this going to work? And all of a sudden, you know, hear ye, hear ye. The, uh, the town caller is, is speaking and reading hitherto this command from the Romans. All shall return to their hometown. And there's Mary and Joseph. And of course, Joseph is of the lineage of who? Children. Raise your hand if you know. David, that's right. (laughs) Some of you are very obedient. I love that. Uh, And so that meant that they had to go back to Bethlehem. And so they began the journey at some point after that back down to Bethlehem. And this is the famous journey that is uh, pictured with, you know, Joseph and the donkey and, and Mary. Now, how many of you think that there was a donkey? How many of you think the Bible doesn't tell us? <laughs> You're right. We don't know if there was a donkey or not. Could have been a camel. Could have been, could have been a Buick, for all we know. Uh, but it, probably not a Buick. It wouldn't have made it that far. But anyway, um, <laughs> I... <laughs> Uh, yes. And all the Honda drivers said, amen. So anyway, they make the trip all the way back to Bethlehem. And by now, Mary though is, is nine months pregnant. And, and by the way, the timing on this is, you know, God is in it because 
Certainly the tongues were wagging in Nazareth about Mary's pregnancy, the very sudden um, uh, marriage. And so there was, you know how this can go. Tongues are wagging and maybe people are gossiping. Well, by them leaving, the people of Nazareth were not necessarily going to know when Jesus was born. And this allowed for them to have this birth with a little bit of a little bit of cover. So they arrive in Bethlehem, and this now is a familiar part of the story. Uh, she is about to give birth. They need a place to stay. They go to the Bethlehem Holiday Inn. It's packed. There's you know, no vacancy on the sign. And so they talk to the manager of the hotel who says, well, I got nothing here, but there's a spot over there. At least you can get some shelter. And so they go to what was undoubtedly a cave where they would keep animals from shelter and maybe it had been kind of fixed up in some kind of way for, you know, a gate, a fence, something like that. And there that very night, Mary, without any medical assistance, without a midwife, Joseph had no idea what to do, um, gives birth essentially all by herself to the Son of God. And he was born in essentially a cattle barn. You ever been in a cattle barn? My family, uh, I come from farm and stock. So I grew up going to my family. They had barns and, and cows and, and all the rest. And it is, a, it is an experience that you do not forget to go into a cattle barn. That was the spot. That was the, the setting for the birth of the Savior of the world. And that's, again, the marvel of it. And we'll get to that a little bit. We talked about it last week, how God works in the most unexpected ways. Indeed, he did. Which brings us now to the, uh, to the story that I was reading to the children, the angelic word. We've had these, these words. That's our theme here as we talk about Christmas. We had the prophetic word. Uh, we had the shocking word. And now we have the angelic word. And so what I want to uh, do with you tonight, this is a familiar story to many of you, so don't check out on me. I want to talk with you most of you know the story, but many people don't know the meaning. And I'm going to suggest that there is in this story a familiar path for anybody that wants to come to know the Christ, the child, the King, the Savior. First, the story, though, and we begin in verse 8, and I'm just going to read verses 8 through, I think, 13. Here's what it says. And in the same region, so this is in the region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, this is the Shekinah glory of God, shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, tonight we begin with the angels. And what we see with these angels is exaltation, okay, exaltation. The story tells us that it began with one, 
We're not given a name. We could probably assume that this is Gabriel because Gabriel is the spokesperson in this entire story. So we begin with one angel who suddenly appears at night to these shepherds. So uh, you, ever, you ever been outside the city or you get away from everything and how, you know how those little stars, what do they do? They become so much brighter because there's no light around. Back in this day, there wasn't city lights. You didn't have kind of the, the, the lights in the distance thing. It was black. It was dark. It was, it was, it was dark. <laughs> and so suddenly here is this angel and this angel appears and it says that the Shekinah glory of God is on display. And this is the same glory, by the way, that the disciples are going to see on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured before them. And you recall what their response was, Peter, James, and John. They see the glory of, of Jesus and they literally, they fall down like dead men. That's how bright it was. And the writers write about it that it was so bright and pure, brighter than any cloth that you've ever seen. It was just, that's what these shepherds see. Suddenly, the sky is filled. Got their attention. And this angel began to speak to them and told them that a Savior has been born. That there is a baby now, a special baby. Now, every baby is special, don't you think? They're all special. They're all cute. They're all wonderful. All of them. If you read the Christmas cards and letters that you get in the mail right now, it's amazing. You know, on the front, there's the, there are the, the smiling children. They're so pristine. They're so, you know, they're just cute as can be. You read the letter that's inside of it, and, uh, you know, they're all, they're all getting all A's. They didn't disobey one time all year. Everything's wonderful. We're just, just so happy. The children are, oh, they're thriving. And life is, the children, they're, they're so, they're like the greatest. Every parent feels that way. Most of them. Not many angels make these declarations of greatness. Now that would be a different sort of thing, wouldn't it? That would actually mean something. All parents think their kids are great. But for an angel to declare a child to be great, now this is something that has some credibility. And this angel declares him, remarkably, and we'll get into what he says in just a moment, to be a very, very special child. And then suddenly you have, it says, the multitude of the heavenly host. And I've, I've read some that think that every angel in heaven suddenly showed up. Now there's no way to know that. And we don't know how many there were, but the idea of a multitude is that like more than you can count. Suddenly in the sky, there is not just one angel. And remember the, the angel, the, the light of the one angel shone around them and they were terrified. Now the sky is filled with these angels and they're all just, the glory is just filling the sky. And they all are affirming that this child is very, very special. Now, were they singing? We don't know. The word there is speak, but it can mean sing. And I think that singing is probably more appropriate than speaking in a moment like this. Somehow it's not the same to me. If they're going, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. I like to hear them thinking, glory to God, you know, that kind of thing. It just seems more appropriate, doesn't it? That there would be some oomph behind it. 
The same kind of oomph that maybe some of you need when we're singing about Christmas this year as well. There was a, there was a joy, or what I'm saying right now, there was an exuberance. There was an exaltation. These angels had joy. They were delighting in the news. This was the greatest thing that they had ever done, the greatest news that they had ever heard, and they were excited to be declaring, even to the shepherds, the good news of great joy. Glory to God. You know, one thing that I'm reminded of, it seems like every Christmas, uh, when, when I get studying this every year for messages, is how much singing there is in the story. Sing, everybody's singing. And maybe you didn't realize this, but just put, I think we have it up there. I'm hoping we do. In just a, like two chapters, here we have Elizabeth sings a song. Uh, uh, Mary sings a song. Zechariah sings a song. The angels sing a song. The shepherds are going to come back praising God and rejoicing. Simeon in the temple sings a song. Anna sings a song. It's like anybody that's a part of this just breaks out. And we've talked about how this works. When there is joy in here, it comes out. When there's no joy, it's. But when there is joy, there is, that's why people break forth in song. There's happiness here that comes out on the outside. And everybody that knew what was going on, and they didn't even know as much as we know now, everybody that knew the little bit that they knew just wanted to sing about it. Exaltation, joy, gladness in what God has done. Now, the great curiosity here in this passage is why waste such a great concert on shepherds? Why these shepherds? They could have announced this to anybody in the world, but they went to shepherds, which is a surprising choice if you know anything about shepherds, at least in that day, a few reasons. One is that the shepherds were essentially the lowest uh, members of the totem pole. You like when you went down, when you went to the bottom, like the thing that that people didn't want to say that they were. What do you do for a living, <clears throat> shepherd? <clears throat> it was the bottom. Now there were reasons for that. One was that it was it was a it was a dirty job. Okay, no TV shows back then, but it was a dirty job. Uh, secondly. Their duties kept them from temple worship, which made them very suspect if they weren't regularly on Sabbath in the temple worshiping. Thirdly, they had a reputation for being thieves, so they were a little bit gypsy-ish in that way. Um, So, for these and probably other reasons that we don't know, they seem to be unlikely candidates. Now, why would God tell the shepherds? I'm going to tell you. Because they would listen. They would listen. Think of the other people that we know in this story. For example, think about the people in Jerusalem. Okay, And Jerusalem, of course, capital city. This is where the wealthy people were. This is where the influential people were. This is where the movers and the shakers were. This is where the educated people were. These were the high, the mighty, the somebodies of the day. They were all in uh, in, in Jerusalem. You might recall during Jesus' ministry in his adulthood, his brothers said, what are you doing up here in Galilee? If you want to be a prophet, you got to go to Jerusalem. That's where the action is at. So... Uh, 
The Magi show up in Jerusalem and give a similar announcement as the angels. And they say, what? Where is he that has born, been born king of the Jews? We saw a miracle star and we're here to worship him. And the text says all Jerusalem is in, is in an uproar about what these wise men have to say. Now, right after that, they go down to Jerusalem. How many people are to Bethlehem? Anybody catch that, children? Should have raised your hand. Oh, Pastor Steve, that wasn't right. Okay, you're right. They went down to Bethlehem. And how many people in Jerusalem went with them? Zero. Okay, so apparently Jerusalem would not, it's not a very good place to make announcements like this because people don't listen to you there. Well, how about King Herod? I mean, he's the king after all. He probably should be informed. This is a guy that needs to be in on what's going on. The angel should have maybe first appeared to Herod and given the formal announcement, hear ye, hear ye, and then maybe gone to the shepherds. Why not the king? Well, we know what the king thought when the Magi showed up and said, there's been a baby that's been born king of the Jews. What did he want to do? Kill him. So for obvious reasons, the angels did not go to King Herod. How about the Romans? I mean, these were the people that were in charge. These were, the, uh, these were the, truly the people with power and authority of the day, either in Rome or even the Romans there in, in, uh, in Israel. Why not go to the Romans and tell them? Well, the Romans have kind of their own announcement angelic moment. Do you recall? When Jesus is resurrected from the dead, it says that an angel comes, rolls the stone away, sits on the, on the, on the, uh, the stone. And the Roman guards who were standing there, these were the tough guys. These were the guys that were supposed to be enforcing this from anybody doing anything against it. They see the angel, and what do they do? Again, back to the story. They fall down like dead men. And then later accept bribes to lie about the fact that the angel showed up. So the Romans were probably not the best people to make the announcement to. Which leads us back to the shepherds. Who were willing to listen and to act, which they did beautifully and now famously. So, the shepherds, the reason that they came to them, and I wrote this and I want to include it, because like the hobbits, who were the only ones who could handle the ring of power, it would seem that the shepherds were the only ones who could handle the glory of a message like this one. And here we are on the same point that we were on last week, and that is that God moves and works in the most unexpected ways. The last people that you would expect the angels to appear to are precisely the people the angels appear to. And in doing that, I think, forever say to people like you and me, because we went through this last week, how many people here are famous? How many people here are like ultra-rich? Do we have any really smart people? Do we? And you know what? No hands, nobody's that, none of us are. We are normal folk. We're Hoosiers, right? We're Hoosiers. God can't use Hoosiers. If angels came today, they, they would show up in Chicago or Indianapolis. Not in Crown Point. Well, actually, it seems... That we are precisely the kind of people living in precisely the kind of place that God likes to show up. And that is the good news. My dear friend, God can use you 
No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how you may think you're the mo- not the most talented or you're not the smartest or you're, you're sort of obscure and nobody realizes you, God's eye was on the shepherds. And when he decided who he was going to announce this to, he didn't go to the king, he didn't go to the Romans, he didn't go to the smart people in Jerusalem. He went to the shepherds, people just like you. And if you, my dear friend, will respond in the way that the shepherds did, which is to listen and to act upon what he says, God will work in your life as well and do wonderful things. And I think that's a pretty encouraging word on a Saturday night, snowy Saturday night in Northwest Indiana. Yes, amen to that. So be encouraged, be encouraged. Now, what the angels say is important, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want us to look at it because it is Christological, and we love Jesus here, so any chance that we have to get a a little look at the character of Christ, we want to just savor it. So look again at what the angel says. Fear not. Love those words. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news. When somebody says, did you hear? Don't you have that sense in your heart where you're like, uh, is, is this like, you know, good or bad? Which way is this going? If they say, did you hear the good news? You're like, no. But if it's just the news, you're like, uh-oh. Because most of us assume this isn't going to work out well, right? So for the angel to say, don't be afraid, I have good news. Now that's something I want to hear. What is the good news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That little phrase there, I just want to pick up a few of the words there. First of all, born. For unto you is born this day. This baby was not a ghost. The baby body was not a costume that he put on. He was born like you were born of a woman. This means that he is one of us. He is not a, he's not just a spiritual emanation he is human right down to his dna secondly unto you born to stay in the city of david a savior now a savior means that there is somebody in need of saving don't you think if there was nobody that needed to be saved then there would be no need for a savior to come but the fact that a savior has come means that there is somebody that is in need of saving And the rest of the Bible fills out this, that we are actually the ones that are in need of the saving. Our moral and spiritual condition before God, His holiness, His pronounced punishment upon us, which is death in this life and eternal death, these are all indications that we are the ones that need to be saved. Just like uh, a, a fire station means that there are There are fires that people need to be saved from. And just like a jail indicates that there are criminals that we need to be safe from, a Savior indicates that we are people in need of saving. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. That word means anointed one. It is filled with Old Testament importance. The Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. Okay, chosen by who? Well, we certainly didn't pick him, did we? So if you take the human race out of, okay, who, who chose him to be the Savior? We didn't, okay, so we set us aside. Who does that leave? God. 
The fact that he is the Christ means that God is at work. This is a God thing. God has anointed him, chosen him to come. Salvation is of the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Speaks to the majesty of his person, the authority of his person. He wouldn't look like it to look at him, but that little baby that was laying in the manger was holding the universe together with his power. And he's gurgling and burping. And I mean, that's like the, that's, you're like, oh, I'm so over that. No, you're not. You don't understand it. If you are over it, you don't understand it. That's the wonder of it, isn't it? How could he be both? I don't know. God knows. But that's what he was. And it seems to me that when we get this right here, that there has been born a Savior chosen by God who is Lord of all, that the byproduct of understanding that is the exaltation that we see in the angels. So the more that I get this, the more joy that I have here, which then leads to exaltation. If I don't get this, then that means that there's not joy here and there's no joy in my countenance and in my celebration. So Christian, let me ask you, how is your exaltation going this Christmas? Really, honestly. Oh, I'm fine. No, truly, in your heart. Hey, can I get everybody's attention over here? Let me ask you, how's your exaltation going? How about you right here? Their joy? Getting fired up? Getting excited? How about on this section over here? Truly, is there gladness? Is this just humdrum? Or is there joy? This is the point. If we get it, there is, there is joy, happiness. If we don't get, get it, I would suggest, uh, or if we don't have the exaltation, I would suggest that we probably don't get it. Or maybe we used to and we don't anymore. Here's what happens, I think, is that we forget. We forget how important this is. I would compare it to, if I go back to the fire station uh, analogy I gave a moment ago, Think of all the people that drive by a local fire station. In fact, think of the, local, the closest fire station to where you live. You probably drive by it on a regular basis. How many of you, when you drive by it, do like tears start flowing? Oh, there's the fire station. Probably not. Most people drive, oh, it's a fire station. Drive by, don't think much of it, you know. Glad it's there, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily move me or anything. Well, how about when your house is on fire? Does anything change in regards to the way that you feel towards that shimmering red fire truck that shows up and the firemen and women, I think, these days as well? Fire persons jump out, rush into your house to save your possessions and maybe your life. Well, now that's an entirely different thing. Why? Because now I am the one in need of saving. And you see, every Christmas, this is the thing that we must create in our hearts. And that is a remembrance that I am the one that needs the saving. That this is not just a generic thing. For unto you is born this day. And from that flows then the joy that we should have as Christians every Christmas that Jesus Christ has come. So how's your exaltation? The angels had it. The shepherds are going to have it. Everybody's singing. 
Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Now we move to the shepherds. The angels exalting shepherds. What are they doing? Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So what they do is they immediately take off to go to Bethlehem and to find this child. Now the angel knew that they were likely to do this and knew that they were going to have a challenge. Have you noticed how hard it is to identify babies? Now, maybe I'm speaking as a single man who has not had my own child and all the mothers are going, I know my kid just from looking at him. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, uh, they look a lot alike. Have you noticed this? They look a lot alike. Not all of them, but many of them. In fact, this week I was speaking to our MOPS uh, group, which is a ministry to mothers of preschoolers, and there was about 100 women and I was talking with them, and one of the women had a, a baby that she was just kind of, you know, bouncing and, and on, her, on her lap. And as I was talking, I made reference to the baby there in the fourth row. And I, you know, the, there's the baby dressed in red. And I, I referred to him as a him. And I was uh, quickly clarified that this baby was not a him. This baby was a her. Okay. Now, how would I know that? Blue I get, pink I get, red's one of those that can go either way, can it? I mean, it's not, it's not clear what a baby dressed in red is. So it's hard to identify babies. And they, you know, Jesus wasn't the only baby in Bethlehem that day. But here's what I can tell you. He was the only baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Because manger, a manger was, as many of you know, was a feeding trough. Even back then, they didn't put babies in feeding troughs. So to find a baby in a feeding trough, now that would be a sign for sure. So off they went. What else could they do? The claims that were made about this child were so great to just sit there and go, eh, I don't know, let's just call it a night. You couldn't do that. Angels have appeared. Declaration has been made. The greatest moment in human history has been announced. This is something that you and I and they would go and check out. And that's exactly what they did. We want to go and to investigate. And that's what I'm, I'm saying is the, the shepherds were sufficiently interested to go and to investigate this. Let's go explore it. Let's go discover what's going on. Last week I spoke, or a week, just over a week ago, I spoke at one of the local Christian schools. Or not Christian schools, it was a public school. And this public elementary school had asked me to come and to tell the Christmas story. So which is fun to do. So I went to this uh, class to tell the Christmas story to them. And then there was a time of Q&A afterwards. So I'm sitting on a chair. The kids are all kind of sitting around on the floor around me. And uh, this girl raises her hand and she goes, how do we know that this really happened? Now, for a fourth grader, that's a pretty insightful question. <laughs> this, is, this is epistemology, philosophy class. This is how do we know what is true? So I said to her, I said, well... And they had pictures of presidents and such on the wall. I said, how do we know that Abraham Lincoln ever lived? You know, you just see these fourth graders. Hmm. 
the deeper questions of life, you know. I don't remember what she said, but I remember what I said, and that is that we know that Abraham, we know about Abraham Lincoln because those that were alive then have written about him, and we've read him about it, and we know what he said, and we know what he was like. And the Bible, my friends, is that for us. You say, "Well, I want to investigate it." Great, great. You want to read about Jesus? There are three. There are four accounts of his life: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Check it out. Read it. Millions have investigated the claims of Christ, and many of them have come to the conclusion that he is the Savior of the world. In fact, many of them that are here in this room tonight. Amen? Amen. We have. So Christianity is not afraid of investigation or scrutiny. The shepherds are an example of people saying, let's go verify if this is the case. And I quote this a lot, probably every Christmas, but it, it says it so well. The Larry King example, where Larry King was asked, if you could interview anybody in history, who would you interview? And he said, that's easy. I would interview Jesus Christ. What would you ask him? I would ask him if he was born of a virgin, because the answer to that question defines history. Indeed, it does. So this either happened or it didn't. What we're talking about, it either happened or it didn't. If it didn't happen, then guess what? There is no fire truck to save us. But if it did happen, then this is the greatest thing that has ever occurred. And I would suggest is probably the answer to the search for meaning that you have in your heart. Is this one, Christ. So, the angels are exulting. The shepherds are investigating. What about Mary? Let's look at verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The Greek word there for uh, treasuring, it means to keep close. Okay? To keep close. Like the things that we really value, we put in our inside pockets, right? Got the billfold here or here, uh, jewelry close to us. She, 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 she treasured them. Or I, I, I thought of uh, a modern-day idiom. She scrapbooked them in her mind. She took them and preserved them and put them in a place where she could meditate and contemplate what all of this means. Now, remember, in the story, this Mary has had quite a nine months. Begins with an angelic announcement that you're going to give birth, and oh, by the way, a virgin birth. And this one born will be the son of David and the savior of the world. And an angel told her that. She goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth just breaks out in song and rejoices in what's going on. She goes back. She thinks she's going to maybe lose the man that she's betrothed to. But lo and behold, an angel appears to him. He marries her. Happy day. The tongues in in Nazareth are wagging. But God works it out in such a way that A Roman census gets one couple from where they were to where they needed to be to fulfill the prophecy. And there she gives birth in a barn by herself. Right after she gives birth, there are shepherds that show up saying, the sky was filled with angels saying that this child is the king. We can't believe it. We're here to see it. And she's just hearing all of this. And to realize this girl's 14. You want to talk about overwhelming. 
So there she is just trying to put it all together. And can't you see her taking the angelic announcement and taking uh, the experience with Elizabeth and taking Joseph and the marriage and taking the journey and taking the birth and taking uh, uh, what the, the multitude of angels had said and just kind of putting them in her heart and saying, what does this mean? And why me? And what is this child going to become? I can see that. I can see it. And so what I'm saying tonight is that threaded through this story here, these three things, is the spiritual journey that anybody that comes to faith in Christ must walk. In fact, if you are a Christian here, you can think of your own story. Didn't somebody tell you? Wasn't there some kind of an announcement that was made to you? Now, this was probably not angels. If it was angels, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. It probably was somebody. Could have been a parent, could have been a brother, could have been a coworker, could have been a fellow student, could have been a friend. But somebody made an announcement to you and said that there has been a child born who is now the Savior of the world. He died on the cross, he bore your sin, and if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. And maybe the first time you heard it, you said, that is baloney. How could you ever believe? I like you, but I can't see how anybody could ever believe in that. And he went on to explain it. And he gave you a Bible. And you began to read it. And something happened as you began to look into it. Your heart changed. And you came to a place after you investigated it and contemplated it where you actually believed it. And the fruit of the believing was that you are happy about it. Exaltation. And my friends, this is the path. This is where everybody goes. We hear it. We consider it. We contemplate it. We believe it. We rejoice in it. Christ is the Savior of the world. Exaltation. And by that I don't mean that we're all the time flying high. But it does mean for Christians we are always flying hopeful. We always have something that we believe that gives us confidence in our trials and hope for the future. God's promises are true for us. So let me ask, do you know this joy? Seriously, do you know this joy? I, know every, I don't know everybody that's here tonight, but I know every one of you are searching for a connection with your Creator. You are longing to have that sense of meaning. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? The questions that all people ask. You want that. I'm here saying now, like the angel said to the shepherds, that this child who became a a man and died on a cross and was resurrected on the third day and ascended to heaven and is coming back, this man loves you and did this to save you. He is a Savior, which means that you are in the need of saving Believe. Believe in Him. Do you know the Savior? You can. Do you know this joy? And I say this to my fellow Christians here, because as I said earlier, oftentimes this sort of loses its punch somehow to us. And you can know that if it's lost its punch in your heart, you have forgotten how much you need it. Your house is burning. And you don't realize that you need a Savior. You need a fireman. You need Christ. And this Christmas, I 
pray that we as a congregation don't act like we're sort of over it. But we realize that if this was not true, I'm lost. We're lost. But it is true, which means there is a reason for gladness and joy and hope and happiness in this life and in the next. And I think the shepherds kind of got that. Because we see at the end of the story, in verse 20, what are they doing? Here's what it says. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So, may the example of the shepherds be a path we all walk this Christmas. And may we get to the point of joy.